Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with a proponent of data, Dr. Lucy Jones. We'd like to thank our sponsors and supporters who help make the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center possible, including this podcast. Consider your support of our center today. But now let's get to it. Throughout this podcast, we talk a lot about what our listeners, you, can do to manage the risks you face from the natural environment whether it's earthquakes, floods, wildfires, volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, and the list goes on and on, especially those getting larger and more intense because of climate change. But today we want to take a minute to look at what leaders can do to protect the people that they serve with good policy. And you might be thinking, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not an elected official. I don't need to listen to this one. Well, let me tell you, this is really important because it really describes the way that you as a person who cares about your future, about getting through it, can work with those in power to make the changes necessary to protect you, your family, and your community. But to get there, we need to look back at a new report that we released just a couple weeks ago with research from Dr. Keith Porter of the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction in Canada. The report actually quantifies the benefit of a project that, Lucy, you worked on and really led about eight years ago with the city of Los Angeles. So let's go back not just to a couple weeks ago, but let's go back eight years ago to the work you did with the city of Los Angeles and resilience by design. Actually, I'm going to take you back six years before that, which was the release of the shakeout scenario. I led that project to create the shakeout scenario because I could see the damage was going to be coming from a big earthquake. And I realized just saying there was an earthquake wasn't enough to convince people to do something about it. We needed to show them what the results were going to be. That's what the shakeout scenario did. It detailed out all of the different type of damages, all the ways in which buildings would fall, et cetera. And it led to great emergency planning, but it didn't lead to much change. One of the things that I, as a, as a disaster scientist, as a seismologist, see when I look at disasters is just how much of the damage is preventable. And I detail losses. I think that says, hey, go and prevent that from happening but it isn't quite so obvious to everybody else. In 2014, with your help, John, I got deployed (laughs) or lent to the city of Los Angeles from the U.S. Geological Survey. And I spent a year going to City Hall every day and working with them on what could be done to change these outcomes. It led to the biggest single change in seismic policy in California's history. We were able to pass four different pieces of legislation mandating retrofit of certain types of dangerous buildings, as well as a couple of other processes about making the city safer. But these two types of retrofit, one was for softer story buildings and one was for non-ductile concrete. And they mandated that the owners at their own expense go and fix the problems that we know are going to be causing problems in future earthquakes. The software story, we're given seven years. The non-ductile concrete, we're given 25 years to get the work done. So the software story work is almost complete. It's been seven years since that legislation was passed. What did it take to get that legislation passed? I mean, I kind of know because I was there with you (laughs) many times. But when you talked about the need for it to get done, what were some of the key arguments that you were using to help people see what you were seeing? One of them was the life safety issue, because that's the thing where earthquakes scare us. 
Our building code is a life safety code. Make sure the building doesn't kill you, but it's not retroactive. So these are buildings built to earlier codes that we know will be killing people like they did in the Northridge Meadows apartments in the 1994 earthquake. So that's a powerful argument to a lot of people, but it wasn't enough. It didn't seem like it was that many people, right? That's hard to get it through when it's a lot of money. Way beyond the number of people who actually died in the Northridge earthquake in the Northridge Meadows apartment, which was 17 people, the city of Los Angeles also lost 49,000 housing units. So the idea that we already have a homelessness problem, which has only gotten worse, of course, since 2014, the earthquake would be coming in and causing so many more homeless. And that became a very powerful argument for why the city needed it. The last level, I think, was for the community. That if you lose all those housing units, how many people give up and leave the community? How many other properties have their property values damaged? And so it was way beyond just the life safety to the value to the larger community. So it took an expert, you, communicating different ways of reaching the emotional impact on the person who is setting the policy for this to, and that's, I simplified that a lot, but for this to go forward. But they didn't, you didn't have specific numbers at the time, right? It was sort of extrapolations, understanding, perhaps maybe this could be based on what we've seen in the past. Exactly. We were able to go and say, well, we see a quarter million households made homeless in the shakeout earthquake. Some of those are coming from these buildings and we could prevent that part of it. I don't even know if we actually, when we started the process, actually had the exact number of soft story apartment buildings in Los Angeles that were more than four units. I mean, that was something that was through this process was developed. <laughs> it actually was hard to get that information. And the early estimates when I was in City Hall were at 13,000. I think by the time they got done, it was less than 9,000 that actually needed to be retrofitted. So that sort of brings us back. Okay, so all these years have passed. You said it's about seven years, six years since this has happened. And just a couple of weeks ago, earlier this month in October, on the Great Shakeout Day, the Dr. Lucy Jones Center with Dr. Porter and other experts released some data and really validated all this work. So tell us what the data was that was released and how we sort of got to it. It was a powerful moment for me to see what we've been able to accomplish. Keith was able to get the buildings that had been retrofitted, get their locations. From that, he could estimate what was the likelihood that each of those buildings was going to experience shaking bad enough to damage it over the lifetime of the building. We assumed that was 75 years. Then what were the losses prevented? Just take our modeling of how an earthquake damages stuff and then change out these over 8,000 buildings into now more resilient structures. It showed substantial losses averted. Always a hard thing to try to come up with. So I was really happy to have a number. In fact, we were able to say that there would be 1,500 people who would not die during earthquakes over the lifetime of these buildings. We were able to say there were 27,000 people who would not be injured as this happened. There would be over 150,000 people who would not be made homeless because of damage to these buildings. And hopefully the least important but still significant number was that there were $42 billion in losses that were not going to occur because of the retrofit had been done at an expense of $1.3 billion. So it's a return of $32 for every dollar spent. So what we found from this study is evidence that says it's not just the dollars and cents, which for anyone that studies sort of how much your investment pays you back, a 32 times return is pretty impressive. Well, and there is a caveat to that. 
One of the important things that Keith has done is to say, what are all of, well, he doesn't get all of the losses averted. I mean, they don't have hats or the cost of moving debris or all of those sort of things, but it is not just benefit to the owner. So there is the treatment of those injuries that doesn't have to be paid for. There is the drop in property values that doesn't happen. So there's some more intangible sort of numbers that are value to the larger community. And I think this is actually important as we think about it going forward and try to get more retrofitting done. When there's that much value to the community, because in fact, more than half of those losses averted do not belong to the building owner. And therefore, it's a community value to have this done. And I think this should encourage more jurisdictions to actually act on requiring retrofit, but they also have a reason to examine who should be covering all the costs. And there is a justification for government supporting this activity, at least to some extent. Absolutely. But there's thousands of these buildings still in Southern California. And probably if you really look around the West Coast or even around the country that were built in this way, and it's really here in our high seismic zones of the West Coast that it's most important that we undertake these retrofits. There's another five cities here in Southern California, as well as the city county of San Francisco, and I believe Berkeley and Oakland have also taken on this issue. But there's a couple hundred, like more than 400 cities in California. Not every city has this type of construction, but every city should examine the type of construction they do have in order to understand what policies they should put in place in order to prevent the damage, to prevent the loss of lives, but more importantly, to prevent the loss of community that will result when their big earthquake comes. Exactly. So if you're involved in the civic life of your community, you have some influence. You can talk to people and say, this matters, not just for the owners of this building, not just for the residents of this building, though obviously not dying in an earthquake is a pretty big benefit, but it's also a benefit to the larger community that you're going to still be a place that people want to live in after the earthquake happens. Well, let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows, extras, and insights, and the whole world of getting through it. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>